Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Hey, um, it is so good to be with you guys. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. That's where we're going to be. Luke 6 is where we're going to uh, be this morning. And uh, we're continuing um, to the end of really the collection of Jesus' most famous teachings. Uh, In other places, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Here in Luke, it's it's like the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, He goes to this level place and he gives these uh, messages. Um, But really, it's just the collection of his most famous famous uh, teachings. And so Luke 6 is where we're going to be. And a lot of this will be familiar to you, but my prayer is is that you see it with new eyes today. So Luke 6, verse 37. Verse 37 is where we're going to begin. Here's what Jesus says. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let let me take that speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. This is the word of the Lord. Now, this passage that we just read is about training. Make no mistake, this is about training. Uh, to, to show you, I want to I show you this. Look back at verse 39. Here, here's kind of the, the crux of the entire message that he's giving. He says this, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. This whole passage is about you losing blindness. Can the blind lead the blind? You want to be effective in community? You want to be effective in church? You want to be effective in your life? You can't do it blind. Can the blind lead the blind? No, you're going to both fall into a pit. 
No, this is about you losing the blindness and really seeing life as it is in Jesus' kingdom. Because when you see, what does it say? Look down verse 40. When you see, you will be fully trained like your teacher. Like your teacher, like Jesus. Jesus is training people in this passage uh, who can live in his kingdom. People who will be able to make kingdom decisions when push comes to shove. And the moral guidance that Jesus is giving here is a shift from law written on tablets of stone, he's shifting things, right, to law written on hearts. There's something that's supposed to happen in you, not outside of you. See, look down at verse 43. What does he say? No good tree. What is he talking about here? Really think about it. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. And then he says this, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. This is about you becoming the real deal. This is about you not being mechanical in how you bring about God's kingdom morality on your life, but this is about you becoming organic in the way that you bring Jesus' kingdom reality in your life. Now, do you know the difference between the mechanical change and the organic change? See, last week we said there's a difference between mechanical growth and organic, and really this picture kind of encapsulates the two methods that Christians use to bring about kingdom growth in their life. There's this pile of rocks. How do you change a pile of rocks? You add more rocks to it. The, how does a pile grow? You add rocks to it, and it grows, right? But how does a flower grow? It's very different. It's not added to from the outside. It actually takes something in itself, and it brings about fruit. It brings about beauty, right? Mechanical growth, that's added to from the outside. Sure, the pile's changed, but the growth isn't authentic. It's not alive. But a flower... That is authentic because it's grown from the inside. You can't separate the growth from the flower. It's organic. The plant has actually been changed by what it's taken inside. And this passage is getting at this. That's why Jesus, he ends with this, no good tree bears bad fruit. No bad tree bears good fruit. It's about what you've soaked up. It's about what you've taken inside yourself. You want to live in the kingdom? You want to live with Jesus' kingdom mind? You have to take him inside yourself. If I could sum up this passage, here's uh, Alex's summary right here. Jesus is teaching an abundance worldview, a worldview that doesn't walk around empty or with lack, but a way of living that is full and sees the world differently because of fullness. That's what he's teaching. So, Here's what we're going to do. If we're going to get trained by Jesus today, let's walk through each of these lessons. Are you ready? Thank you, Jake. The first lesson is about judgment. The first lesson is about judgment. And I want you to see in this lesson the overlapping reality of the spiritual world and the earth that we live on right now. Look at verse 37 again. Here's what he says. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. 
for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, here's the reality of this, of this verse. There's a connection between this world and the spirit world. If you were not here about a month ago, I gave a message called a sacramental worldview. There's overlap between God's space and our space. And in a sense, we're seeing that right here. How you deal with someone else's spirit, what you think about their worth has an impact to how your spirit is dealt with. What you say about something, somebody, how you view somebody will reflect on you. And to me, this is a great mystery. It really is. But it's not something that's unfamiliar to the scriptures. In fact, here's what David says in Psalm 18. He says this, To the faithful, you, God, show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. Do you see the overlapping realities here? To the pure, you show yourself pure, but to the devious, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty or full of pride. Jesus is saying you will experience grace and mercy as you show grace and mercy. Isn't that interesting? Now, let me, let, let me illustrate this with uh, a story of a shortcoming in my own life, because that's always helpful, right? So I grew up in the church. Uh, I spent a lot of time around church. Um, in fact, my mom actually worked for the church plant that we helped plant in Wilsonville uh, when I was growing up. And I was homeschooled throughout middle school. So I would go, as a homeschooler, I'd go to the church office. I would do all my homework there at the church office. And then I would go to their church staff meeting, uh, every staff meeting. I was at the church staff meeting. I was at the staff lunches. I did it all. So I got a very uh, interesting insight into uh, Protestant evangelical churches and how they function, right? And as a result of this being in my life, uh, there probably hasn't been anyone that I've judged more than religious leaders pastors and youth pastors. You're like, me too. I know, I feel it. Um, my scorn for pastors could be palpable at times. I hated them. <laughs> I remember thinking, I will do anything but be a pastor. I was always annoyed at how cheesy they were, how plastic and weird they were how unintelligent, especially in evangelicalism, how unintelligent and out of touch they were, the way they dressed, the many different versions of sandals that they wore. <laughs> it was just like, come on. But then I became one. Ugh. And I found out that when I became a pastor, I could no longer judge pastors the way that I had judged them because I was one of them. There was no getting around it. See, my judgment on pastors, it didn't do anything to them, but it nearly crushed me. And when I began to extend grace to the poor suckers, I realized <laughs> that I was the one actually freed by the grace. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. See, self-righteousness, that's what we're talking about right now. Self-righteousness tries to cover shame by telling you the lie that you're a cut above, that you're not like everybody else. But the truth is, you are the same, and deep down you know it. And so your judgment on other people does nothing to them, but it puts you in chains. Here's how it works. Here's how it works. 
Every single person, all of us in this room today, we feel a gap between who we are and who we could be. It's called guilt. It's called shame. And right there in that place of brokenness, that place of guilt and shame, in the gap, the devil will whisper to you. And the devil will whisper to you that God won't accept you because of what you've done. What you did when you were a teenager, Andoni. (laughs) Who you've been. He then lies to you that if you compare yourself to someone who's worse than you, it'll make you feel better about yourself. But in fact, when you do it, you feel worse. Why? Because to to the degree that you judge, you will be judged. Your judgment on other people actually puts you in chains. And with every judgment you make, you're placing another chain on yourself. I would never do that. (laughs) Did you see what they posted? My God, they've got problems. All crushing you one judgment at a time, setting an impossible standard of purity. Because actually by removing grace from them, you've removed it from yourself. Here is what Jesus is saying. This lack mindset, make no mistake, that's what it is. This lack mindset about the world, it comes from a person who hasn't seen the abundance of God given to them. It's self-righteousness. Not being willing to see yourself as a part of humanity. (laughs) As someone who needs the grace of Jesus just as much as everybody else. There's this little story from the brothers Karamazov that really taught me this. One of the brothers is told this tale, and if you want, you can close your eyes. I'm going to read from the book for just a moment. Um, but, but he tells, the, the, one of the brothers is told this tale, and here, here it is. It, it illustrates this perfectly. I used to hear this story when I was a child from our cook. It goes like this. Once upon a time, there was a peasant woman and a very wicked woman she was. And she died and did not leave a single good deed behind. The devils caught her and plunged her into a lake of fire. So her guardian angel stood and wondered what good deed of hers he could remember to tell to God. He told this to God. You know, she once pulled up an onion in her garden and gave it to a beggar. And God answered, okay, Why don't you take that onion and hold it out to her over the lake and let her take hold of it and be pulled out? And if you can pull her out of the lake, let her come to paradise. But if the onion breaks, then the woman must stay where she is. The angel ran to the woman and held out the onion to her. Come, he said, catch hold and I'll pull you out. And he began cautiously pulling her out with the onion. He had just about pulled her out when the other sinners in the lake, seeing how she was being drawn out, caught hold of her so as to be pulled out with her. But she was a very wicked woman, and she began kicking them off. I'm to be pulled out, not you. It's my onion, not yours. As soon as she said that, the onion broke. And she fell back into the lake, and she is burning there to this day. So her guardian angel wept and went away. As soon as her self-righteousness kicked in, 
I'm better than you. It's my onion. It's my good deed, not yours. Lack. That's lack. The onion wasn't strong enough. See, it could have been had she rejoiced in the fact that grace was being extended to others through her, but she couldn't, and so grace wasn't extended to her. Because here's the reality. What saves someone isn't that they give an onion to the poor, but that they saw themselves in need of redemption just as much as everyone else and didn't despise God for his grace to people that they deemed undeserving. I think you could read this passage this way. Live with lack. Live with a lack mindset and watch how the world around you confirms lack. But live as though God has a surplus for you. He's forgiven you. He's poured grace out on your life. He's cared for you. And watch how you begin to find grace and mercy around every turn. It's the sacramental overlap of being embodied souls. Now, this is the foundation for the next lesson. What comes next? And in fact, if you don't learn that lesson, this next one will be quite difficult. Look down at your Bibles, verse 41. Why do you... Look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your eye and then you will see, everybody say see, see. clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, Jesus is obviously using a metaphor here um, of something in somebody's eye to represent sin in the life of a disciple, right? You got something in your eye there. And the small issue in someone else's life seems bigger than the big issue in your own life. And through this teaching, he is getting at the culture of the disciple family. What I want you to see here is that there are two commands here. There's one that's a personal command, and then there's one that's a communal command. The personal command is this. You should judge yourself. <gasps> or maybe to put it more nuanced, you should look at your life and you should address with God the sin that you have before you judge somebody else's life. Simple enough? Maybe. See, I think most of us know this deep down. And what we know is that you will not be able to do what Jesus says to do here if you have one of two overcompensations in your theology. Here's the two overcompensations in your theology. The first, this is probably half of the room has this and half of the room has the other one. The first is this, there's nothing wrong with me. I am completely righteous, completely forgiven. I have no flesh, it's been crucified. I am totally good. I got nothing, I'm, there's no speck in my eye. There's no log in my eye. What are you talking about? You will not be able to do this if that's what you believe. The second overcompensation theologically is this. If you don't understand what grace has done to your identity, that you are righteous, that you are completely forgiven, that your flesh has been crucified, do you know both? Look, there are many great tensions within Christian theology. There's, there's we mourn with those who mourn, but then there's this incredible, triumphant language all across the New Testament Ephesians 1 comes to mind. All of the heavenly blessings have been given to you. There's a tension. Well, what about this? God wants good for all humans. 1 Timothy 
Chapter four says that God wants all people to be saved, or in the Greek, sozoed, saved, healed, and delivered. God wants good for people. But the way that you get that, or the way that you get there, is not by seeking it, it's through the cross, the cruciform life. What about this tension? God wants people to be healed. He wants to bring about healing. He wants to touch bodies and make them whole. Heaven on earth, while pain and suffering abound all around us. And here we collide with one of the most famous tensions, and one that, to be honest, I've never talked about here. Here's the tension. You are in Christ, completely wrapped up in him. You're the righteousness of God. Your flesh has been nailed to the cross, and it no longer defines your identity. But, do you actually believe then that there is no change that must happen in your life? Do you actually believe that nothing needs to be, in the language of Paul, put to death in Romans 8 verse 13? What I'm saying is that what is true about you spiritually must be reflected in integrity here physically. But here's the catch. You will make no progress if you lie to yourself that no progress is needed. Be honest address the log. Now, one of the main reasons that Christians avoid looking at the log is that they don't understand what grace has done to their identity. They're afraid, maybe this is you, they're afraid that if they look at the log, they will become the log. Shame. Their identity will be shaped by what they've done, so they can't look at it. They have to stuff it. They can't be honest. See, if you are here this morning and you can't address the log because you're afraid to look at it, then you don't understand what grace has done to you. If you avoid the log because you think it says something about your identity, you do not understand what it means to be in Christ. Here's what I'm getting at. Only someone who knows that what God thinks about them as secure is ever able to address the log. You have to have both. If I, let me just say this. If I know that God is for me, that he loves me, no matter what. I really believe it. Not just based, I don't, I don't just believe it when I feel it. I really, no matter what, highs or lows, I believe it. If I really believe that he has died for me, that he has made a spiritual declaration over me, no condemnation on this one, then when he brings my sin to the surface and says, you must address the log, I'm not cornered. I'm accepted, and because I'm accepted, I address the issue. I don't address the issue to be accepted. Do you see the order? I address the issue because I've already been accepted. This is what it means to walk in integrity here physically because of what you've said about me spiritually. See, Jesus is not a man with a clipboard. Do you know what I mean? Jesus is not standing at a distance with a clipboard looking at your life and making notes. He's not the standard keeper watching you, making sure that you don't do this or that you do do this. No, Jesus himself is the standard, but the standard has a yoke and he's next to you and he's plowing the same bits of issues as you're plowing in your life. See, the only way that you will be able to take the critique to really look at yourself accurately and not be crushed by it is if you have a standard in your life who's willing to die in order to incorporate you. 
the standard died for you. Then you can look at your life. You can see the flaws. You can see the gap. And you can say, honestly, this is where I'm at. But by the grace of God and his unchanging love, the light shining into those deep, dark places of my heart doesn't scald me. It sets me free. And when your identity has gone through that, when you've really done that, you've removed the log with the Lord, then you're ready for the communal demand. Here's the communal demand, verse 42. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, then you will see. Everybody say see. Clearly to remove the speck from your brother's I love that line. Then you will see clearly. When grace has covered and empowered transformation in your life, then you see. Then you have abundance. The subtle truth of this text is this. It is not seen to notice something wrong in somebody else's life. In fact, any person who is blinded by their own disordered loves can see that. Anyone living in lack, maybe even especially those living in lack, will be drawn to noticing the sawdust in other people's eyes. Only the person who has really experienced the grace of God, his personal dealing with their sin, will be able to see clearly. You're not seeing if you notice what's wrong with other people. You're seeing if you've seen what he's done with you and you think, if he did this for me, what could he do with them? Then you're really seeing Now, another part of this message is just the simple reality that this is the sort of thing that disciples will engage in. They're going to confront one another. They're going to have confrontation for holiness, for righteousness. You understand there are two kinds of judgment. There's judgment from lack. That's what we've been talking about. But there's judgment from abundance. And judgment from abundance says, this is what he did with me. I want to get your imagination engaged with what he could do with you. This is what Christians will do. Now, let me just say, every single one of you has in your mind a shining image of what church should be, of what this should be, of what the people around you should be to you. We all have an image. We all have expectations. And oftentimes, our feelings about church rise and fall on whether the church is meeting our expectations about that shining image. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about our shining image of what church should be in the fall when we do our annual vision series. But this passage teaches us that at least we shouldn't be surprised that church includes confrontation for holiness. Uh, The church that I worked at before, this church, the church that helped us plant Bridgetown uh, Church, um, has what are called Bridgetown Communities. They have hundreds of them, many of them, that are these small groups that are all across Portland. It's a mammoth feat to take a church of 2,000 people and to find community for them, to find leaders for those community uh, communities, and then to coach those communities into doing things like this. It's very, very difficult. I was a part of it for many years, and it, it's really hard. Um, and one of the things that we, we constantly were running into with these various communities is people's sin. Ugh. And so you would get this community together, and for three months, it was glorious because everybody's bringing their food when they need to bring their food. And everybody is nice to each other. 
But you get past those three months and you get down to the specks in people's eyes. And you either confront or you break up. And I remember I had a friend of mine, a couple friends of mine. I won't point him out. One of them is here. But I had a couple friends of mine who, in his community, and this is very common, a lot of young adults in the, in the church, um, had a couple who were living together, sleeping together, and were unmarried. And they wanted to have their community group at, they wanted to have the community group at their house. And so they, my, my friend came to me, and he was hemming and hawing. He's like, I don't know what to do. Like, it seems like the, the, the church's teaching on this is pretty clear. The, the New Testament is pretty clear about sexual immorality and, and having sex within the covenant of marriage and that sort of thing. Um, so do I talk to them? I'm like, yes, you got to talk to them. He's like, maybe you could do it. I'm like, no, 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 you have to do it. I'm not in your community. I've already had, the, I've had thousands of those conversations. I don't want to have another one. So how about you do it? We were just, the other night he came over and we were sitting on my back patio and we were just talking, we were reminiscing, talking about this moment in his life. He's like, it was the worst day ever. Um, so, you know, sometimes you'd confront people with this and, and with the same issue and they would go, oh my word, you know, I've never really read Paul and I didn't know. And so I think we really, you know, our submission to Jesus through submitting to him, we really need to think about this. Uh, but he confronted this guy. He said he sat him down before one of their community groups, and uh, him and, and a buddy of mine uh, sat this guy down, and they said, you know, how do you read? That's, I, I love that. That's what Jesus' technique. If you ever disagree with somebody theologically, you don't need to tell them. Don't make an argument. Just say, how do you read it? Because that's what Jesus said. Here's the, tr- here's the scriptures. How do you read it? So he said, you know, here, here's what Paul says. How do you read it? How do you incorporate Paul's teaching? What's your hermeneutic, if you will? How do you read this in in your life? And the guy looked at him and he said, this is a completely inappropriate conversation. How dare you ask me about my sex life? You have no business talking to me about this. Totally inappropriate. Uh, No, totally appropriate. Jesus said that we would do this sort of a thing, right? Right? I, I, I love Josh White, one of my uh, favorite pastors. Uh, he says this, I gave up my rights to dictate my life when I gazed up at Jesus on the cross and said, save me. I gave up my rights. We help each other submit to King Jesus. You know, there's things in my life that I don't want to submit to Jesus. I'll just be honest. And as I've become more self-aware and gotten older, I've begun to recognize exactly where those things are. I actually need people in my life to confront those things and say, I don't think you're submitting to Jesus right here. I need to know people well enough. <laughs> one, of the, one of the gifts of being married, my wife, I mean, she, she has no problem telling me where I need to submit to Jesus. It's wonderful. <laughs> you need to submit to Jesus right here. So, so here's my question to you this morning as we've read through this text, as we're in this training, do you have people? Do you have people who could know you well enough to once they've removed the log with the grace of God, point out the speck in your eye. Do you have people? And I want to say this. Make the most of your time with the body on a Sunday. This is a wonderful time of celebration and joy and singing and learning and all of that's great. But those four minutes that we give you, those are pretty important. You could meet the, the next brother or sister to enter your life who helps you get free in a place that you hadn't seen before. Somebody who actually sees clearly can help get you there. So introduce yourself to people. Right after this gathering, you're gonna all be milling about. 
Introduce yourself to people. Maybe even choose to serve somewhere. It's one of the best ways just to get to know people. We don't need you to serve, but if you want to serve and you want to meet people, it's a really good opportunity to do it. Ask a family to hang out. If you're rubbing shoulders, parents, if you're rubbing shoulders with families as you're dropping your kids off, just say, hey, it looks like our kids are in the same class. What are their names? Get to know them a little bit. Come to St. Till events. You know, I had somebody, uh, I think it was on Monday. They're like, how come the church doesn't do more stuff for community? And I'm like, were you at the barbecue? They're like, no. I'm like, okay, well, we did a whole barbecue to try to rub your shoulders together. So, you know, we had, it, just in the past couple of weeks, we had a parent's dinner. So when we announce these things, we're not like just like, hey, here's an announcement. You can tune it out, and then the sermon's coming. No, like we're announcing things for you to, to come rub shoulders, to come do church together. We have a young adult trip. If you're a young adult, you should go on that trip. Uh, because most, here's the reality, most of this stuff, the good stuff, the disciple family stuff, is going to happen out there, not in here. That's where we're really going to learn to live with Jesus' abundant view of the Father and of the kingdom. So if you're hungry for the real family of disciples, I challenge you to make a commitment to asking somebody after this gathering, would you like to get coffee sometime? Or maybe our kids could get together sometime. Let's do that. Let's be the church to one another. Let's stand. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.